Well, turn in your Bible with me today to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'm going to read the first 11 verses in this chapter, and my text will be verse number 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. But if the ministration of death written and engraven in stones was glorious so that the children of God could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses or the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. I'm going to speak to us today about two ministers. And I know both of these ministers. And I'm not going to say a bad word about either of them, but I will say this, I do appreciate much more the ministry of one of them than the other. Both of these ministers are extremely learned men. And both of these ministers studied at universities which were situated on top of a mountain. The first one, I'm going to speak to us of these two ministers in the chronological order in which I sit under their ministry. The first minister, his name is Dr. Law. Dr. Law from the University of Mount Sinai. I, as I said, I do not have a bad word to say about either of these ministers. I know that the Apostle Paul, who knew both of them very well himself, he spoke the truth when he said this about Dr. Law. He said, the law is holy and the commandment holy, just, and good. I found it hard. I'll just be honest, I found it hard to sit under the ministry of Dr. Law because his demeanor was like what happened at the founding of the University of Mount Sinai. 
And by that, I mean that his words seemed to sound in my ears like thunder and a loud sounding of a trumpet. Every message that I heard him bring filled me with fear. But it wasn't godly fear. It was some kind of fear like a slavish fear that a servant would have for a very hard, cruel master. It wasn't godly fear. It was slavish fear. And I remember two words. I know these well. Two words that he seemed to use over and over and over again. As long as I listened to him. These two words seemed to be just part of every sentence that he uttered. The two words were, Thou shalt. Thou shalt. Now, he did vary these. Sometimes he would say, Thou shalt not do. And sometimes he said, Thou shalt do. And I know this may sound strange to some of you, but it seemed that those words, thou shalt not do and thou shalt do, those words seemed to stir up in me evil desires to do what he said thou shalt not do and not to do that which he said to do. That's strange, isn't it? But it's the truth. I speak the truth. And I remember this. He seemed to end. Every message, every lesson seemed to be ending with these same words. And they were these. They were found in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 11. He would say, Hearken unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you. For to do them that thou might live. Every message, those words were included. And I can still remember this as well. That in every message he would go over 12 curses. 12 curses that he would read from the book of Numbers. And he would have us in the class after each one... Say, Amen. Every time he would read a curse, he would have us say, Amen. Amen. And that last one was this, the twelfth curse that he had us to read and to recite. We soon didn't need to read. We learned them by memory. And that last one was, Cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of this law, to do them. And he would have us resound with a loud amen. Cursed! Cursed! <laughs> Cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them. Amen. Amen. One day, sitting under Dr. Law's ministry, one day I came to realize this very important truth. That the curse Dr. Law 
would pronounce, read from the word of God, from the law of God, and have us to say amen to, that I was under that curse. I wasn't just saying amen. I was really, I came to acknowledge that I was really, came to understand that I was really under that curse. And when the law said curse it, and I said amen, I was pronouncing a curse upon myself. I came to realize this was a reality. This wasn't make-believe. This was a truth that I was actually under the curse of God's broken law. And I knew what that curse was. It was death. Death. And the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. That was a solemn day. It really was. When I came to realize that this curse was real. That this was God's curse upon me. Because I was guilty. Because I had failed to do. Now I knew. But I realized it's not just knowing what the law says. But it's doing. And I had failed to do what the law commanded to do. And I had failed not to do what the law commanded to do. The law commanded that I love God with all my heart, all my soul, and all my being. And there was a curse if I failed to do that. And I had failed. Not only had I failed, I failed every day. I came to understand that that curse was real and that I was under the curse of God's broken law and the curse of that law was death. And I'm not speaking just about physical death either. I'm talking about eternal death. That is to be eternally separated from God. Now, every person here this morning, all of us living in God's world, let me just remind us of this, that God's love is manifested and demonstrated in this world. Think about that. But eternal death is to be in a place, in a circumstance, in a situation when none, absolutely none of God's law will be manifested. It's to be separated from God and everything that is good, not for just a few years, but for all eternity. How real this was under the curse of God's law. The law that I had broken. And Dr. Law didn't seem to care a whole lot about my feelings either. He just kept right on preaching the same thing. 
ministering the same thing. Thou shalt not do. Thou shalt do. And cursed is everyone that continueth not to do all things that are contained in the law. I gave thought to this, as everyone should. Serious thought. Serious. We're not playing. We're not here to play church. Serious thought. To be under the curse of God's broken law. As I gave thought to this, I began to wonder. I began to wonder if this was not Dr. Law's intention. If this wasn't really his intention. Was he, was Dr. Law really trying to teach me how that I might have life or was he telling me what I came to understand? For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. Was that what his intention was all along? Not to teach me and tell me how I might have life, but to declare unto me that by the works of the law, I would always be under the curse of God. Was he really trying to teach me how? How it is possible that a sinner like me might be just, might be declared righteous before God? Was he trying to teach me how I might do that? Or was he really just emphasizing to me that by the works of the law, Shall no flesh be justified? Was that his intention all along? Was he really shutting me up, forcing me into a corner where I would look out for another teacher? Was that his intention all along? I said under this minister, Dr. Law, and this is what I found to be true. No doubt about it. This is what I found to be true, and this is what all men who sit under Dr. Law will find, at least eventually, that under his ministry, I am condemned. His ministry is a ministry of condemnation. Notice that in verse 9. Our text, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9. For if the ministration of condemnation be glory. What ministration is he speaking of? He's speaking of the ministration of Moses. Of the covenant that God gave through Moses to the nation of Israel. When, when, Is, when Moses came down from that mountain after he'd been there for 40 days... His face was all aglow. And the people couldn't look on him. They couldn't, Moses didn't realize it, that his face was glowing. But there was a glory 
placed upon Moses himself, the person who received the law that God wrote on tables of stone. There was a glory upon him and the people, Aaron and his brothers, his friends, his neighbors, they couldn't look on Moses because his face has such a glory. He had to cover his face so that he might communicate with the nation of Israel. And what Paul says that that ministration of condemnation, yes, there was a glory about it, but it was a temporary glory. It was to fade away, just like that, that covenant, that covenant that was given at Sinai. It was never intended to last forever. God's purpose, God's plan, he had another covenant, an everlasting covenant that would eventually be revealed. But there was a glory, even though it was a ministration of condemnation. The law condemned. Condemned me, and I had to raise my hands, and I had to say, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. You hear people sometimes, they say, well, i tell you what I'm, I'm going to tell God. Let me tell you, you're not going to tell God anything. God shuts the mouth of those that he reveals Christ to. He shuts our mouth. And we stop blaming our parents and our neighbors and the preacher and the deacons and the Sunday school teachers and all of those people that have done us wrong and disappointed us and that's the reason I am the way I am. No, the reason you are the way you are is because you love sin. Because you came into this world dead in trespasses and sins that you walk According to the, curse, the course of the world, you live under the power of the prince of evil. Now that's what the Apostle Paul declares to us in Ephesians chapter 2. I sat under that ministry of Dr. Law, and I found this to be true. It was a ministration of condemnation. I was condemned. I was condemned. And rightly so, because of my sin. The words of the hymn writer express my life at that point when he wrote, I wandered on in the darkness. Not a ray of light could I see. And the thought filled my heart with sadness. There's no hope for a sinner like me. That's when I heard this second minister I want to speak to us about. His name is Dr. Grace from the University of Mount Calvary, Dr. Grace. And forgive me for jumping ahead of myself, but I want to answer a question I know will be in everyone's mind. I ask it myself. 
How did I come to be under the ministry of Dr. Grace? How did I ever come un to be under the ministry of Dr. Grace in the first place? If you had asked me that question when I first met him, I may have answered, it was, it was really by accident. It was, it was quite an accident that I came under the ministry of Dr. Grace. I wasn't looking for Dr. Grace. I wasn't looking for a new minister. It was quite by accident. But listen, I've come to learn it wasn't by accident at all. No, no. That God Almighty who works all things after the counsel of his own will. From my birth until the day I came under the ministry of Dr. Grace, God had arranged things as they were, all leading to this point. When I would hear Dr. Grace, I would sit under his ministry. God had determined before the foundation of the world that there would be a day in which he would cross my path with the gospel. And so that's how I came to be under the ministry of Dr. Grace. It wasn't by accident at all. It was all on purpose. God had purposed this wonderful blessing before the foundation of the world. Now, I will say this about Dr. Grace. He also seemed to take on the, the demeanor of what happened at the founding of Mount, at the University of Mount Calvary. And it's hard to put this into words. I certainly do not mean, I, I do not want to imply that his words sometimes also sounded like thunder. Sometimes it sounded like a lightning but even so, when his word sounded like lightning, when it sounded like thunder, they came to me filled with, with compassion and with love and with mercy. But they did come. They were firm. They were firm words. What I noticed, first of all, what I noticed first of all, and above everything else about Dr. Grace's ministry, about his teaching, is that he spoke about a person. He spoke about a person. And it was not just any person that he spoke about, but he spoke about a person who is both God and man. Dr. Grace, he declared to me that this person who is both God and man is the very embodiment of grace. In fact, Dr. Grace told me that he was rich beyond all measure, all ability to comprehend. Yet for our sakes, he became poor that we through his poverty might be made rich. 
he emphasized, Dr. Grace did, he emphasized that in this person dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. I didn't understand that at first. In fact, it took me a while before I came to understand exactly what that meant. That though he was a man, a man, bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh, and yet at the same time, he was God Almighty. He is the eternal Son of God who joined that body to himself that was prepared him by the Holy Spirit. He was a real man, and yet he was fully God. I didn't understand at first the importance of that, but Dr. Grace, he continued to emphasize just how very important that is. Because, you see, it was as a man that he obeyed God and suffered under the hands of God's justice, and yet because he is God, his sufferings and his obedience and his death satisfied God, and that was declared by his resurrection from the dead. Yes, he had fully, completely, perfectly satisfied God obeyed God's law, that law that Dr. Law preached all the time, thou shalt not, thou shalt do. He satisfied it perfectly in thought, in word, and in deed. And Dr. Grace, speaking about this person, he told us, thank God he told me, I heard it. I don't know if anyone else heard it, but I'm so thankful I heard it that this person who is God, man, that he's a substitute. That he's a substitute. That though he had no sin of his own, and yet he was made to be sin in order that I might be made, might be declared righteous before God. He took my sin and his own body. He died as a substitute as a sin offering. And yes, he did satisfy God Almighty. Dr. Grace told us, and he told us from the Bible, when I say Dr. Grace told us, I want you to know he always quoted from the scripture. He told us that this God-man was made a priest. And he was not like a priest of the Aaronic priesthood, the priest that followed Aaron. They were made priests because they were born into the family of Aaron, of Levi. Oh no, he was of the tribe of Judah, the kingly tribe. And he was made a priest by an oath. You say, well, who, who swore? Who made that oath? And what is that oath? God. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In other words, his priesthood is unending. And as a priest, a priest 
is to offer both gifts and sacrifices. That's what a priest is for. A prophet comes from God to us, and yes, he is that prophet who speaks to us the word of God, but a priest goes from us to God, interceding, mediating with God. And he is that priest, and every priest, as I said, is to offer gifts and sacrifices. This is found in Hebrews. You know the scripture. The gifts that he offered, his obedience, his perfect obedience. But what would he sacrifice? All those priests of old, they had found a bullock, they had found a lamb, they had found some animal, but no. Those animals, the blood of those animals could not take away sin. No, he gave himself. He offered himself a sacrifice for sin. What a wonderful day that was when I heard Dr. Grace bring this truth out. And Dr. Grace emphasized, he emphasized how this person this person who is God-man, who is a priest forever, who is the Savior, Jesus Christ, that he saves sinners by grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. God used Dr. Grace to cause me to see that salvation is all of grace. That the grace of God, as the Apostle Paul says in Titus, brings salvation. It doesn't offer salvation. It brings salvation. When the grace of God comes to a chosen sinner, it brings salvation. When Christ comes, because he is salvation. And Dr. Grace made it clear, the best he could, that this person delights in saving sinners. Oh, he's so lovely. He's so precious. He's so kind. He's so good to sinners. He delights he delights in mercy. He's full of grace. I also, and let me just briefly touch on this, I also realized Dr. Grace, he, he spoke about a person, always. That, not any person either, right? The person. The God-man. The one mediator between God and man. He preached, he spoke about him. But he also, he spoke about a covenant. A covenant. A contract, if you please, an agreement. He called it a covenant of grace, in fact. Although in the scripture I see it's called an everlasting covenant. And this covenant was ratified by the blood of Jesus Christ himself. And all the benefits, just like a man's last will and testament, when the testator dies, 
then the administer of the will, he makes sure that all the stipulations in the will are given out as it is recorded. And the Lord Jesus Christ died, shed his blood to seal the covenant, the covenant of grace. But he didn't stay dead. He arose. And not only did he arise, but as a gift, because of his obedience, the Holy Spirit was given. And the Holy Spirit is here in this world, and he's calling out and bringing his sheep to the shepherd. Now, I said a minute ago that I experienced these words of the hymn writer. When I said under Dr. Law's ministry, oh, they, they, they were my testimony. I wandered on in the darkness. Not a ray of light could I see. And the thought filled my heart with sadness. There's no hope for a sinner like me. But let me tell you something. After sitting under the ministry of Dr. Grace, the rest of the words of that hymn came to be my testimony. In that dark, lonely hour, a voice sweetly whispered to me, saying, Christ the Redeemer has power to save a sinner like thee. I listened, and lo, was the Savior who was kindly speaking to me. I cried, I'm the chief of sinners. Oh, save a poor sinner like me. I then fully trusted in Jesus, and oh, what a joy came to me. My heart was filled with his praises for saving a sinner like me. And when life's journey's over, and I, my dear Savior, shall see, I'll praise him forever and ever for saving a sinner like me. Yes, if you notice the second part of the text, for if the ministration of condemnation be glory, that is the ministration of the law that condemned me, had no glory in this respect. No glory in this respect. In other words, it's kind of like, let me try to illustrate it. If you have one of these little birthday cake candles and you had it lighted and it was given some light and then you walk out there in the sunlight at 12 noon, that little old candle light, not much to it, is it? And the glory of that law was like that little candle. But the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it far excels, it far exceeds, so that that glory vanishes away. I've sat under Dr. Grace's ministry now for some time, and this is what I found to be true. I found, notice the second part of our text, I found that his ministration is one of righteousness. Do you see that? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness. How 
may I be righteous before God. You see the glory? How a sinner like you and like me, a holy God, and he is absolutely holy, how he can declare someone like us to be righteous. It is through the righteousness of his son that is imputed, as Paul says in Romans chapter 3, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith, by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. I pray, I pray. As I said at the beginning, I would not say a bad word about Dr. Law. He showed me my need. There's no doubt about it. But I'm so thankful for Dr. Grace. And if you've never said under his ministry, if you've never believed what he has to say, I pray that you will come to do so. And you will rest in Christ. You will lean. That's the word trust that has that meaning of leaning. Just like I can lean on this pulpit. Now, if there was a little piece of paper over here standing up, and if I lean, lean myself on it, I'd go flat to the ground. Christ is a Savior that you may lean on and be saved, be secure, be accepted by God. Isn't that a wonderful thing? I pray God will bless this message. We're going to sing that hymn.